Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as the Author's Librarian. Hi there, listeners. It's the host and producer, Vicki J. Carter, here of this podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And before we jump into the episode, I wanted to stop real quickly and share with you the newest project that I'm working on. If you are an author, I think you might be interested in it. I have a YouTube channel that I just launched called The Author's Librarian on YouTube. And on that YouTube channel, I am going to share with you free accessible resources that you can use to help you with researching. I'm going to give you tips. I'm also interviewing librarians and I'm writing a book to help authors with researching. So I hope you find me there on that YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the program. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I'm going to present to you one of my new friends, um, Indy. And um, we are actually, this is take two on this recording. So I'm going to admit it to my listeners. Um, We did a wonderful interview a while back and somehow it didn't record. So we're doing it again. (laughs) So Indy, say hi to everyone. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Good day. And Indy, your last name is Indy Quillen. Quillen, thank you. It's an Irish name, yes. Yes, Irish name. So, okay, Indy, so tell us a little bit about yourself, starting out with where are you located in the Pacific Northwest? Yes, um, we're in, I'm actually living in um, Snohomish County. So I'm close to the sound and I'm also close to the mountains. Lots of woods, lots of trees, green belts, just love it up here. Um, we're in what's called the convergence zone because we, so we never know what we're going to get for weather. Yeah. <laughs> but it's exciting that way. And uh, love, love, love all the trees. That's my favorite thing. I was going to say, you probably love it there because you're a tree girl. You're an outdoors girl. So <laughs> Yes, very much. Love and being, ab- being able to be by the sound and the mountains and seeing all of our beautiful forests, that's just one of the most amazing things to have all that in one area. <laughs> We're still exploring it. We've only been up here three years. And uh, and then with COVID, it's been really tough to get out there and uh, camp as much as we want to. So uh, we're going to do a lot of exploring, some more exploring this year and get out there and see more of this beautiful state. Yes. Awesome. Well, I have read your book. I, I've read one book. I know that you're working on additional books as well. Um, and I love it. And I was drawn to it because it's an outdoor um its setting is very much in the outdoors. So tell us a little bit about your background of your outdoor life, because you are very fascinating to me. So share with our listeners all about your background. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess when you read uh, the Fox Walker novels, you'll get the distinct idea that I love being out in nature, uh, spend as much time out there as I can. And um, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather is the one who got me interested in nature at a very young age. He started teaching me the names of plants and flowers and birds and showing me how to follow tracks or make tracks in the snow. And, um, and so from there, it just went on and on through my whole life. But I also became, for some reason, I became very fascinated with the Native American culture when I was just a young girl. 
had some very vivid dreams that set me to reading every book I could find. And it wasn't until years later that I found out through my family that we, my grandfather, the same one who uh, was the outdoorsman and taught me so much about the, the nature, uh, was um, his great, great um, grandmother was Native American and came to the Midwest from Virginia. And I don't know what nation she was from. But I have a sugar bowl that was hers that she carried on a wagon all the way across the country. And then my my grandfather was also uh, great friends um, with a Native American gentleman. And we only know his name is George. I don't know what his really name was, his real name was, but he gave my grandfather a beaded wampum belt that I have. And my paternal grandfather, every time he plowed up his garden every year, he got arrowheads. We lived in the Midwest. And so we had I have tons and tons of artifacts. So I did lots of studying of Native Americans and I became very fascinated with the spiritual connectedness uh, with nature. And um, that resonated with me. And so when I created my character, that all just came into play. And, um, and then about the time that Tom Brown uh, Jr. became known as um, a tracker, uh, I and I read every one of his books. I became fascinated in bushcraft and wilderness survival. So it was just all of those pieces and parts that fell together to help me create a completely fictional character that I could, um, you know, portray these stories through of being connected to nature and uh, knowing how to survive in it or thrive in it versus surviving in it. Um, and so that's how um, these stories kind of came to be. I love it because your whole life was research for this book. <laughs> it, it actually was. And it's not stopped. I am now, I just finished eight weeks of courses with Wonia Tibolt from um, alone, uh, learning more bushcraft and buckskin sewing and hide tanning and weaving and all these things that um, I've always wanted to know my whole life and just never had a way to learn it. And with, um, the pandemic, the one side benefit was that Wania was able to take her classes online. And so I was able to take these classes. Well, all of that is just playing in more and more to these stories because I want my stories to be very authentic. And everything I do in the stories out there in the wilderness is things that you know I've done or experienced. And so it's important to me uh, to be authentic in my writing. I love it. So I want to go back just a little bit about that online class. Um, did they, did she send you materials or did you have to go find materials for hands-on projects? Yeah, a lot of it, we, we would actually go out and get the materials ourselves. Um, and then she did have some kits for like the buckskin sewing, you know, some kits that we could purchase. Although I've already purchased a hide from a gentleman, um, in the cold, I couldn't tan a hide. Um, but I've purchased a hide that I'm going to use for project. So, some of it, I had to go get the materials and some of it, you know, we were able to get them. So it was a mixture and it was such an intense course. that so it's going to take me a long time to get through everything and really try everything. But that's absolutely it, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it's just been so fascinating. And so, I mean, I knew I've always had organic gardens and I've raised my own food and done canning and preserving the foods. That part I knew, but it was all these other um, ancestral skills that our ancestors knew. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't known how to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and all those skills are being lost. Yeah. Um, and I think it helps us connect back with nature 
And I think a lot of people have done that this last year is realize that we have to get our connection with nature back in there to get rid of the stress and to feel like we're part of this world and not separated off into a room with technology. It's yeah. yeah. So true. So true. I love it. And once again, now you're living research again, you went through all those classes. And since I've read your book, I know kind of what the theme you're running in and along. I'm sure that all of that stuff you did in your class is going to be interwoven in some new story. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I already have in uh, I'm working on book four right now, mm-hmm. for the Fox Walker novels. And um, there's a lot, there's uh, quite a few mentions of buckskin sewing in there. <laughs> so, it. so yeah, it's all going to fill in. But um, people that read my book seem to be, um, they love nature and they love being out, out in the wilderness with Fox Walker. Yeah. And um, I'm hoping it makes them want to be outdoors more. It and, did me. I mean, yeah. Oh, good. I, I think I told you this last time. I have had this big run of wilderness um, mystery, wilderness tracker, or wilderness um, or forest mystery type authors on all around the Northwest. And a lot of them have based their books in the Northwest. I think I got one person on and then you all followed because I was <laughs> like, this is so great. And I've been actually reading the books, which is really exciting because I slowed down this year to read the books of the authors that come on. Also, I'm writing my own book, which will be out very soon. I can't wait. My first book. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, thank you. Self-publishing. I'm in the midst of launch process and I'm just about ready to well, I'll just put it this way. I know why people don't get books out. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But anyways, um, the theme of the wilderness and particularly wilderness mystery isn't something that I would have gone and looked at because I have a real serious fear of finding a dead body in the wilderness when I go hiking. I mean, it's not a joke. It's a legit fear. <laughs> And so it's not something like I'm like not run. I'm not running to these books and saying I want to read about this, you know, because I really think that someday this will happen. And um, if you if you were if you are in the Pacific Northwest, you probably have that thought often when you go hiking. <laughs> it's just <laughs> right. So, so let's talk about the process of these books. Um, the first story did it come to you in a dream? How did it come about? And then what's your process for writing? Do you um, sit down and write the whole story? And then go back and change things, kind of walk us through that. You know, this first book, um, it took me years and years and years to actually um, have it all pulled together. And it was just all the different elements that we've talked about, me being out in nature and learning things and being fascinated with um, bushcraft skills and wilderness survival. And, you know, my husband, you know, he laughs because every time we go out camping, you know, he's you have 50 ways to make fire without matches, you know, but those are all things that just fascinate me. Um, I think all of that just came together in a very odd way um, because I didn't really have a clear idea of what the plot line was going to be. I just had more the setting and, and characters and what I wanted to portray. So it took me a long time. And, you know, the only way to learn to write is to write And so it took me a long time to write that first book. And even then, it wasn't even anywhere near as what what it is now. It was a completely different story. So um, once I had it done, I'm like, now what do I do? And I started going to writers conferences. I had two people, strangers, within two weeks, tell me to go to this writers conference. It was a Southern California writers conference. I was in uh, Southern California at the time. And um, I thought, okay, two strangers telling me to go here. I better go. So I 
did go to the conference and boy, talk about deer in headlights. You know, it was just, there was so much that I didn't know. And that helped me realize I had a lot to learn. And so I started going to all the conferences I could get to. And I took workshops and classes and um, I submitted my uh, sample chapters for editors. Well, first I submitted to other authors to get feedback. Then I started um, having uh, agents or um, editors look at it. Then I started having agents look at it. And so it was through, you know, probably three or four years of going to these conferences and rewriting my book and, and actually learning how to write. When I wrote my book, I didn't know anything about plot lines or point of view or, you know, anything. So I learned a lot. And when I finally did um, start submitting to agents, I was real fortunate in, this was back in 2010, I I went to a conference and my book that I was pitching won Best Fiction Award for the conference. And I had three agents ask for the full manuscript. And one of them, the gentleman from New York, pulled me aside and he said, will you give me first read? I really love this book. And we spent dinner together that night talking. He basically was interviewing me. And um, he read my book and took me on. And I thought, okay, that's it. I've, it's, I'm done. I've got it. You know, I, you know, wow. Okay, cool. Success. <laughs> Not realizing how much I had to go yet. And um, that first book, Tracker, it, um, it got great reads. Um, multiple reads at some of the big houses, uh, one house, and I don't really want to name names, but one house uh, basically said that he really wanted it really bad. He loved the writing, loved the character. He saw it as a series, but he thought it was going to be too small of a story because the main character was Native American. This was before today's, yeah, you know, exactly. diversity. That so, would not have been an issue today. <laughs> yes. And then, um, and then another house, uh, well-known house there in New York actually said that if I had submitted the book 10 years earlier, they would have picked it up with no qualms at all. But everyone was concerned about how to market it. Hmm. Everyone loved the story. They loved the character. They, they loved the writing. They didn't know how to market it. And so finally my agent, very wise, told me, write the next book, wrote the next book and got it out. And they all loved it just as well. They, they still cared for the character. They liked the writing. They loved they still wouldn't bite because of the marketing. So I talked to my agent and I said, you know what? I really love these stories. He goes, I do too. Uh, And I said, I think I'm going to put put them out myself. And he goes, do it, put them out there yourself and send me your next book, you know, and just keep that process going. And um, what happened in that process is learning how to, I call it indie publishing because to me self-publishing is when you, do everything yourself. Yeah. I wanted my book to look as professionally published as possible. So I hired the best cover designer I could find. I had professional editors, professional formatters. I got book blurbs from other authors to put on the back. I uh, have my own publishing company and my own logo, everything. I did everything I could to make this book as professionally published as possible. I think that is key. Mm-hmm. Key. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, If your cover doesn't attract someone, they're not going to open it up to see the great story inside. So I did all this and I got that first book out and then I followed up with the second book 
and started going on with the third. And in the process of doing all this, I realized I'm kind of a control freak and I really like being able to do all this myself, yeah. to have the cover design I want, to have the title I want, to put them out you know, as often as I want. Uh-huh. I can control all the marketing. Um, I can see all my stats. I know when I'm going to get paid. I, it, it just it all just fell into place for me because I've had my own business for years. And so this just became another business for me to run. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I have not gone back to my agent. He said, I'm, you know, he was going to be my agent for life, but I have actually really enjoyed doing this and things are changing in New York so fast. I can't even keep up with it. And so uh, I actually have a lot of authors who are traditionally published that have pulled their books and they're now so published in the week of 2020, 21. Yes. Yes. And so now will we say it's easy? Absolutely not. As I am discovering, this is not an easy process because I decided I was going to do indie as well. After two and a half years, over a hundred interviews with authors. And I finally just said, enough is enough. I need to get some books out there. I get asked every day when a book is going to come out for me. <laughs> and, and I just decided to jump in with both feet. And, but it is probably the hardest learning curve I've had. And I've done podcasts. I've done all sorts of things. I'm enjoying it, but it's a learning curve. That's for sure. (laughs) It definitely is. And the only way, and again, the only way you can learn it is to jump in. And what Mm -hmm. makes this so difficult really, I think for every writer is there is no path to follow. Mm -hmm. There is no set of guidelines that says, do this is number one. This is number two, because everybody's going to have a different experience. Everybody's going to react differently. Everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. And, um, and so what works for me, is not going to work for you? What works for you is going to work for someone else. You have to find your own path. You have to find your own way. And, um, and I, I think it's great that some authors are doing both. Um, They're working with, uh, houses in New York and they're also publishing their own uh, CJ Lyons. She does, you know, there are a lot of people being very successful with that. Um, So would I never uh, publish with New York? I'm not saying that, but what I am saying right now is I really enjoy what I'm doing. I like having control over it. And, um, but it is, um, you do have to do the work. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot. It is a business. Um, (laughs) And that was probably the best advice I heard. I don't know if I heard it from somebody on my podcast or that was, I was interviewing or I heard it on another podcast, but um, you know, it might've been Joanna Penn from the creative pen who I follow and I've been following for years. Um, She talked about that your books should, you should look at them not as just your babies or things that you love, but it should be a product. And the minute my mind put that idea into a book being the product of something I'm doing is like changed my whole mindset. I was like, Oh, I can handle that. Right. I am okay with having people edit. I'm okay with um, having reviewers read it ahead of time. If it's a product, I need feedback. Cause I understand that business aspect of feedback when it was just a concept of something that I loved and I wrote for me, I, had a hard time letting go of people reading it. <laughs> so yeah, <very> interesting. <laughs> you have you have to switch from the creative process mm-hmm. to the to the business. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, and I have certain ways that that I do that that too, you know, is when I'm in the business mode and this is what I get done during this hour. And then I have to switch to being in the creative mode and yeah. and and the writing itself. And you do have to be able to to do that. 
Yeah. Well, you have nailed every single one of my questions without me asking. I love it. <laughs> you have practice pre-recording one day. Yes. Right? I don't even I don't even remember what we said. It was so I don't either, fun. but it was a lot of fun. I <laughs> but it was fun. That. that was the sad point. But you know, I'm not perfect, so I make mistakes. So why don't we get into the book title, the series? Tell us all about that. I've read it, listeners, and I love it. And and um, I usually don't say I'm going to love something. You know, I don't say it. I'm very honest. So if I don't like a book, I'm not going to come out and say I love it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I really did love it. And I what I really enjoyed about it the most was that there was, I felt like there's a lot of research in it. Now that I know you, and I know that's research from your life, growing up and things that you loved, it makes it even better for me. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, awesome. so share with us, Indy, the titles, the whole series um, overview. And then when you're ready, you are welcome to launch right into the reading for us. Oh, okay. And and if you want me to, I can um, elaborate too on my writing process if you want me to, to do that. Oh, yeah. I think we missed that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we go back. Kind of gloss. Do you want me to do that first? Yeah, let's do that first. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people, um, you know, have to do outlines or their pantsters or whatever. And um, what I have found intriguing is that every book has been completely different. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> and, and so, and frustrating, because after two or three books, I'm like, okay, I've got this down. Okay, yeah. I know what I'm doing now. I've got this process. I'm just going to dive in and go and and what I did on the first two books that I thought was working really well was I would write out all my ideas about my characters and what might be happening kind of loosely and stuff. And then I would, and I would create this timeline of what had to happen in the, in the story. And I would type it all up. And then I would, every time I got ready to do a new chapter, I'd look at my timeline and say, okay, what has to happen next? And do I need one chapter to do that or two? Or, you know, what do I need to do to get there? And that worked really well. So I got ready to do the third book in the Foxwalker series, which was actually my fourth book to write. It didn't work. And I got to what I thought was going to be the ending. And it was like the middle of the book. And I'm like, well, that didn't work. Okay. And I struggled so hard with that book and had to redo my whole process. So then when I started book four, which I'm on now for the Foxwalker series, um, all of a sudden, I found that nothing that I'd done in the past was working. Nothing. I am actually, I've handwritten the first eight chapters by hand. I've heard of these days. <laughs> I know. I mean, I started out that way on book one, but not for my other books. So I, I just couldn't, I couldn't sit at the computer and do it. I had to handwrite it. And I would write each chapter like eight times, re making it better each time. And I don't know if it's because I just felt like my brain was in a fog from the COVID year and I just couldn't focus. And then, and so doing that just helped me get everything back out into focus. And after writing about eight chapters by hand, then all of a sudden everything started clicking in. And I'm like, okay, now I think I can write out a timeline. Now I can go back to what I'm used to doing. But for some reason with this book, I had to just sit and handwrite things uh, to figure my... I guess maybe get to know my characters and I have Fox Walker in a different environment. That's his challenge. This book ah. is he's in a different environment. So I guess I just had to, I kind of had to experiment and play around to kind of figure out what was that, going on with this book. I so, think that's so exciting though, because I mean, I know there are people that have a process and they stick by it and they can just produce 
With oh, yeah. I admire those people. Oh, I, I, so I know. Was, I envy them. They're like, yeah. 12 books a month. I'm, I mean, 12 oh, yeah. books I've produced. And I'm like, I can't even get one done. I don't know how this is possible, you know. And But they have a, a, a set process for themselves. But I don't know if I'll ever have a process for myself because I love the fluidity of how my characters come to me. And I have several different book ideas. So I constantly have book ideas from different series floating around in my head. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the hard part for me is like, okay, I got to get one thing done. Then I got to move on to the next one. So I love that process. So you inspired me that it's okay that sometimes it's not going to be a process for each book. It's not going to be the same process for each book. No. And and I actually, besides the Fox Walker books, I actually, uh, last, this last year, 2020, I actually published a book I'd written a few, well, three or four years ago. And I, I was never quite happy with it. And it's a, a romantic suspense. And it was a story I just wanted to tell. And I finally got the idea that what I wanted to do was change it from third person point of view to the main characters in first person wow. and the other characters are in third. So I had to rewrite the whole book yeah. again so that she was in first person. That is not an easy thing to do. And, um, and in the process of doing that, I had some people beta read it and I changed the ending. When I got done with it, I really was happy with this book. And wow. so I went ahead and put it out. Now this is a completely different genre than I've ever written in and it is not one of my Fox Walker novels. Yeah. But I just, it was just a story. Like you said, there was characters in the story I wanted to tell. And so I had to get it out there. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so that went out this last year. Well, that made me falling behind with my books. I've been doing one a year for Fox Walker. And so I'm, and then I'm really far behind because of taking all those classes with Wonia. And <laughs> so I'm like, it's all I'm, research. All those all research. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so I'm working very diligently. So the first book um, for the Fox Walker series, well, the, the romantic suspense novel is called Reputation. Okay. And even though it starts out in um, LA, in Malibu, it quickly ends up up in the mountains in, of California. Oh. And it's a fictional town, but those people who live in California will know it's based on Idlewild. And uh, yeah, so um, little, you know, artisty kind of little town. And so my character actually ends up spending a lot of time in nature there. Um, but that one was tricky to write because when she first starts out, she's not comfortable in nature. Oh, she's, yeah, this is a foreign place to her. And so yeah. to write her character was kind of a difficult for me. So then she, you know, learns to love nature. So that's what a great story. I'll have yeah. to go get that one and read it now. Yeah, you'll like it. <laughs> um, so the first book in the Fox Walker series is Tracker. And that's where we have the introduction of uh, Fox Walker. And basically, you know, we learn a lot about him and his skills and his um, spiritual connectedness with nature, his back, a little bit of his background. And we meet the character, Natea, mm -hmm. um, which I won't say too much about. So since I'm going to read for this. <laughs> The second book, uh, Pursuit, um, that was a really fun book to write because I thought, who could I pit Walker against? It would be such a challenge. And so he's basically trying to search for a, an escaped convict in the National Forest who is a former Navy SEAL who specialized in wilderness survival amongst many, many other 
you know, talents. And so, you know, he's got an equal out there. Trust me, I got to read this one because I have a very, very good friend who is ex-Navy SEAL, also survivalist, who had a TV show about it. Oh, awesome. When you told me about this the last time, I pictured him. He's not a criminal, but I I pictured him. I I can't give away anything, but, you know. No, but it would be hard to track somebody that knows what they're doing. And knows how to sit ambushes and booby traps yeah so I really had fun writing that book um I think it's still kind of my favorite um but just because of that cat and mouse aspect out in the wilderness of two men of equal skill but what I did in that book is I showed the difference in philosophies Ah, uh with being in the wilderness and how it worked for each person yeah and there's no right or wrong it's just each yeah different so the third book is Duplicity, and that one was really different. Um, there were a lot of different um, – for that for that book, Walker does spend some time out in the wilderness. Um, but in this one, he has to um, – we have a lot more of Atay uh, in there. But in that book, he has to kind of deal with um, the ugly underbelly of civilization a little bit more than he ever has to and um, dealing with that. And there's various um, – plot lines going at the same time in that book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and then uh, the fourth one that I'm working on right now is going to be, it's, the name is Astray. And it's about a missing woman, missing person. But this all takes place in the North Cascades. Ah. So um, Walker's in a different environment than he's used to. Um, and he has a search and rescue person that's kind of there with him against his will uh, to be a help. And um, so there's a lot, he has a lot of challenges in this particular one. And the missing person isn't really missing. So yeah, she's a straight. She's a straight. So awesome. Fantastic. (laughs) So, um, so I'm going to read just, uh, just the beginning, just a few pages from um, chapter two so the setup for this is in chapter one, of course, you get to meet Fox Walker and um, Deputy Harris from the Sheriff's Department comes out to his cabin to ask for his help. And uh, what has happened is there's been an unsolved mystery in the area. And one of the little no- local newspapers keeps writing stories about this, you know, a convict hiding out in this woods and the people that own this property are talking about seeing a spirit walking in the woods and and the sheriff says, let's, let's go out there. Let's search the area. Let's prove there's nobody there, you know, so that this, these reporters will get off my back and let's move on. And so he's been told to, to meet the search party and help them out. Um, and so this is where I'll start reading from there. Chapter two, Gray's Forest, Colorado. The next morning broke broke cloudless and bright. The aspen trees were at the height of their glorious transformation, golden leaves quivering against the dark evergreen backdrop. Above the tree line, the San Juan Mountains filled Fox Walker's vision as they marched across the southwestern edge of the Rockies. Bumping along the road in his truck and heading into a wooded area rumored to be harboring a fugitive, or worse, it never occurred to Walker to feel apprehensive. This mystery needed an answer, and he meant to find it. If someone really were hiding in the woods, there would be fresh tracks somewhere, and he would find them, and after finding the prints, he would find who made them. This wasn't an arrogant thought, just a simple truth. He was a tracker. It's what he did. 
Although the local townspeople viewed this particular section of the wilderness as eerie, giving it a dark reputation, Walker's ancestors had for centuries considered Mukayo Zugape a place of mystery and spiritual power. They mourned its loss when it became privately owned, in the, uh, owned by the Gray family and had to resort to secret journeys there. Over the years, the treks into the forest dropped in number until Grandfather and Walker alone made the visits to the area. When his truck rolled up behind a line of vehicles parked at the edge of the woods where Harris had asked him to meet, his eyebrows rose. Damn, enough people here to hold a tribal council, he muttered. He opened the truck door, stepped out, strode over to a group of deputies gathered around a lanky middle-aged man and listened in on the conversation. He saw a few faces he recognized, including Harris. He ignored the puzzled glances from the men he didn't know. Have your teams report in on the hour, the chief deputy ordered. Remember, the search and rescue team is working a section of the woods directly north of us. Unless you hear differently, return to this point by dusk. That should give you enough time to penetrate the forest to the center and back, on the west side only. The chief deputy looked up, made eye contact with Walker, turned his attention back to his men. Depending on what we find today, we will begin searching tomorrow from the opposite side, from the opposite side of the forest. Walker watched in silence. He already knew that calling him in on the search had been the sheriff's idea, not Morgan's. Being told a meeting time later than everyone else confirmed how Morgan felt about it. The chief deputy approached him as the other men made ready to begin the search. Fox Walker? Yes, Walker extended his hand. The man gave him a quick handshake. Chief Deputy, Mor uh, chief deputy Morgan, I realize you've conducted independent search and rescues for Sheriff Kimball in the past and you're used to working alone, Walker nodded. That's all fine and nanny, but this time you'll be doing this directly under my leadership. You're here because the sheriff wants you here. You have a problem with that? Walker met Morgan's defiant glare without blinking. I'm here to honor the sheriff's request. The moment lasted a heartbeat longer before Morgan looked away toward his officers. So you know the situation. We don't know if someone really is out there or not. But in the unlikely event there is a fugitive out there, we need, to bring, we need to find him and bring him in. He looked straight at Walker again. The sheriff is anxious to clear up the mystery and put this to bed. I understand. You carry him, Morgan asked, his hand going to his gun. Just this, Walker indicated the, indicated the knife sheathed at his side. Morgan looked at it and shrugged, not hiding his smirk. Whatever works, I don't suppose you have a cell phone with you, something to check in with us? No. Figures, Morgan muttered. I prefer smoke signals, Walker said. Morgan eyed him and then continued. Well, if we miss seeing you here, back here end of day, I'll ask that you check in at our office and file a report. No problem. Morgan jammed his hands into his pockets, looked away a moment, then faced Walker again. You and I have never worked together before, and this search could take days in order to cover the entire force. So I need you to understand one thing. We'll get along just fine as long as you take care you don't get in the way of my men out there. You understand? You can be sure of that, Walker said without smiling. Morgan turned and strode away. Kunan, Walker, Walker muttered to himself. The man acted like a young badger, full of aggression, but with no understanding of the true power he possessed. Walker looked over toward a group of deputies standing within hearing distance of the conversation. He saw Deputy Harris among the men. Good to see you again, Walker, Harris said as he stepped closer. Sorry about the mix-up on the meeting time. I didn't know until too late that Walker moved it up. Don't mind me. Don't mind him. He's just marking his territory. 
Yeah, that's what badgers do. Walker nodded. Me, Harris said, I'm glad to have you aboard. Leaning against his truck, Walker watched the deputies scatter into the trees and undergrowth, equally spaced and heading in an easterly direction. He reviewed what he remembered of this portion of the forest. Foothills bordered the vast tracks to the east, desert-like plains to the west. And because of this, the area contained a wide variety of vegetation. Walker listened to the noisy passage of the deputies drift further away. Deep, with, deep within Mukaya Sugape, south of this position, there were many streams and a few small lakes. If someone were indeed hiding out here, that region would have the most resources, and a fugitive vedette would have ample warning if a search party were moving through, especially this group. The deputies were searching the wrong area. He was sure of it. Well, Morgan did ask him to stay out of his men's way. He opened the door of his truck, reached in and brought out a pair of moccasin boots and an ankle sheath containing a knife, one smaller than the hunting knife at his waist. He removed the worn leather cowboy boots and stowed them in the truck. Once he strapped on the ankle sheath, he slipped on the deerskin moccasin boots. One last check to make sure the pocket of his jeans held his flint, and he headed south into the trees. He always traveled light when tracking. He could move faster and more stealth. Nature would, would provide him with everything he needed. He passed through the outer edge of the woods, breathing in the heavy scent of evergreens and fallen leaves. The aroma triggered a memory of long ago, the day when grandfather first took him to Mokaya Sogape. Even at the age of eight, he understood the visit would be one of significance. He and grandfather had stood at the edge of the dense woods, the smell of damp earth, leaves, and pine filling their senses. He remembered his excitement being tempered with his apprehension of the unknown. He could hear the white boys at school chanting their favorite rhyme. If you walk beneath the trees, watch out for the ghosts of the dead. Your soul they will surely steal, and the forest floor will be your bed. Grandfather had only said, said, knowing a fact is not the same as experiencing it, and stepped into the woods, leaving him to decide whether to follow or not. A lifetime later, he didn't regret his decision. Grandfather had taught by experience. Every spare moment of his youth had been spent discovering the secrets of the natural world. The teachings gave him roots of stability to counterbalance his struggles in the white man's schools. As he matured, the lessons went beyond awareness and wilderness survival and delved into the deep realm of the spiritual connectivity of all things. That's why he inherently understood this search today had purpose. His intuition confirmed it. The sun set high in the midday sky when he found the first sign that someone did indeed wander Mugaya Sugape and not a ghost. The markings in the dirt indicated a digging stick had been used to gather some sweet sicily plants. He could tell by the traces of charcoal left in the dirt. The person would have chosen a sturdy sapling, and bevel and fire hardened the end. Pushing the stick into the ground next to the plant, they would then pry upward, at the same time pulling on the plant from above. An effective technique for collecting the entire plant, and all parts of the sweet sicily were edible. The fact the stick had been fire hardened and used this way told Walker the person knew something about wilderness survival, or at least about edible wild plants and how to gather them. It made him reevaluate his notion that if someone were hiding out here, he might have an accomplice bringing food to him. Could it be one of his people? As far as he knew, no Ute apart from grandfather and he had bothered to come here for many years. Maybe the fugitive truth, the story was true then. A murderer at home in the wilderness? A shiver ran over his skin at the idea, and the sheriff wouldn't be happy with the news. 
Walker searched the ground for footprints, but found nothing clear enough to read. Still, he did have a trail to follow, for even without prints, he could see where someone had passed through the area. Years of observation had trained him to read signs in nature as easily as most people read street signs. Disturbed soil, broken twigs, and overturned pebbles on the forest floor became a marked path for him. He moved forward with added caution, and within an hour came upon his first set of clear footprints. Judging from the moisture content of the compressed soil, these were fresh prints, made within a few hours' time. Even at first glance, he knew something looked different from what he expected to find. He squatted next to the prints for a closer look, then set back on his heels. A barefoot woman, he muttered. The size and depth of the depression indicated the prints belonged to a small-framed female, a woman, out here, shoeless and alone. What the hell? Awesome. I love that part. I'm like, yes, keep going. But no, seriously, (laughs) readers, you got to get this book. It's very, very good. And you want to find out what happens to him. (laughs) It's, It's very interesting. So thank you for sharing that section with us. Um, So, Indy, as we start wrapping up this podcast episode, would you like to give a a tip to somebody that's like me who's now currently in the process of publishing her first book, Indy Publishing? (laughs) Any tips for me or our listeners that are in the same boat I'm in? (laughs) You know, that is um, that's a good I'm trying to think real quickly here. Besides. If you're just starting out, go to conferences, meet other writers, get a writer's community that you can, I mean, of course, we can't do that right now with COVID, but you can do it online even. Um, Meet other writers, talk to them, find out what they're doing, grow your community. I learned so much from other writers, and I still stay in contact with so many of my writers. Um, That is where you learn all the different ways that you know, people are doing things and it helps you. The more you can see what other people are doing, the more you can find what works best for you and find your path and do a lot of reading, research, find people that you feel um, are giving you good information and follow them and keep track of their blogs or whatever they do to communicate with people. Um, So finding your path is the most important thing. And something that I do want to tell people is So many people wait to build their online presence until they have a book published, which is the worst thing you can possibly do. You need to start building your online presence, um, a website, you know, social media, and start finding who your readers are uh, before you ever have your book out there. So that when your book is published, you've got people already waiting to buy your book uh, to start your fan base. Um, And then, Just uh, the other thing is in today's world, I think readers really like to get to know you. Mm -hmm. They want to know more about you. They don't just read a book and then move on. They, they, if they find an author, they like, they want to know about you. And uh, so give them ways to, you know, leave reviews for your book, contact you. I can't tell you how many um, people I've had contact me um, because of what I write in my books that people who, um, know I've had some kind of training out there and experience, you know, and so that's, it gives you good feedback that you're, that they believe the authenticity that you're putting in your book you and you want that. Um, so, you know, keep working away at it and meeting people and trying to learn as much as you can. Um, a book that I really, really, um, love that is on writing. That's just a small little book. It's called invisible ink. Hmm. 
and it's written by Brian McDonald. It's a small little tiny book, quick read, fun read. Um, and uh, it has a lot to do with a story and that he believes that our brains have been programmed for many years on the whole theory of how we do fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, you know, and um, if you follow those little steps that our brain wants to see or hear in a story, then your reader will feel satisfied when they read your book because you've hit all those marks. And so I think it's a valuable little book to read. So great. Well, I'll make sure that's in show notes. Yeah. <laughs> so not only myself, but everybody else can get it. And on my website, because I have a resource page on my website. So that's a great awesome. One. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all the tips. It's all true, energizing. I appreciate it. I'm so glad that you could be here and share um, the Walker series with us. So listeners, um, jump on the show notes, get a hold of Indy, let her know you heard her on the podcast, buy her books, and also write a review if you do buy the books and read yes, them. please. <laughs> I can't stress it enough, right? A couple little lines of how much you loved it, but definitely write the reviews. So, so Andy, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you doing take two with me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for asking me. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theautherslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, The Author's Librarian, signing off.